Welcome back to the Make Climate Cool Again podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Miltenberger, and here in the virtual studio, as we've gotten used to with COVID now, um, we have Mark Harama, who is the CEO of New Light Technologies. They're out in the on, the on the West Coast in the LA area, which is, you know, very jealous. Here we are in Claire and I are both in Connecticut and we're, uh, you know, just barely surviving the winter. Um, but I'm really, really excited to have Mark on because he's working on a product called Air Carbon that is really changing the game in the material space. You guys know I talk all about materials all the time. Um, so Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. And, you know, Mark, I mean, Air Carbon is like, is this very revolutionary material. Uh, I think we kind of have to back up a little bit, just give people a sense of how did you become the CEO of New Light? What's your background? Did you always love materials? What's the story? Um, well, I always loved science. When I was in high school, I was on this really cool team called the National Oceanographic Science Bowl team. Uh, you know, so there's like football players, then that team, then soccer. Uh, no. um, and so it was this team where like you had you know, four people and they would ask you questions like, like uh, what microorganism causes uh, bioluminescence and you click the button and say dinoflagellites or something like that. So anyway, as you can tell, I was a big science nerd in high school. Um, when I got to college, I was interested in, in looking at sort of the other side of things. So um, uh, I was doing politics and political philosophy. I got really sick my junior year. And in the course of that, um, uh, was planning to do a post back and go to med school. Um, and, uh, it was super frustrating year for me. I, I ended up having celiac, but it took about a year to, to figure that out. And in the course of my research to try to figure out how to, how to solve for what was going on, um, I came across a newspaper article about methane emissions from cows. And, um, there's a, there's a, uh, a corollary there with what was going on with, with celiac. But um, uh, I was really interested to see what, what the potential solutions were. And what struck me was um, not just the fact that carbon was going in the air, but, but just how quantifiable it was. And um, so I called up my buddy Kenton and said, hey, you know, people are talking about taxing carbon or, or burying it, but what if we could use it as a resource to make materials and if those materials were high performance uh, and could create the products that we love, then potentially we'd have a consumer-driven pathway to reducing the amount of carbon in the air. Um, and that was really compelling uh, back then and still is, you know, because so much of climate change, it feels like is waiting for government um, or just sort of outside of our control. And the idea that you could hold something in your hand that helped very specifically reduce the amount of carbon in the air. That was really compelling. So that's, that's where we started. You know, it reminds me of, you know, uh, I was reading about the Rockefellers a long time ago. Also, you know, East coast, they have all their mansions in Newport. And one thing that I was, was really impressed by uh, the Rockefeller family was how much they valued waste. And there's like this quote about how in his world, especially in the oil industry, like he would find ways to sell waste and how he would try to make his business as efficient as possible, but also the fact that waste has value. 
And so it's like the same concept of we're generating, you know, carbon emissions and everything that we do as humans. And to be able to create something that's tangible from this natural, I guess, offset that we're creating to then offset, it's like double offset. Um, I think it's very, it's very like fascinating. And I mean, how did you end up going through that process? Like how long did it take for you to figure out how to create a product like this? So the, the, the concept that you're talking about with, with kind of redefining waste um, is really interesting because if you look at nature, one of nature's basic messages is that there is no waste. Yeah. Right? Like there's something of inherent value in everything. Um, and when you look at greenhouse gas specifically, um, it's like nature's favorite food. You know, if you look at it, how a tree grows, it's growing by pulling carbon out of the air and, and everything that we eat. The next, the next salad you had, you know, thank God for nature eating this greenhouse gas and turning it into what we're eating. So um, that we took inspiration from that and said, well, what if we don't want to bury this and we don't want to you know, not rely on taxes, how can we transform greenhouse gas into being something useful? So instead of it just being this perceived waste, but actually say, well, there's value there. How do we, how do we bring that to life? Um, and so we discovered early on that there are these microorganisms in the ocean um, and actually in, in almost every environment on earth that do eat greenhouse gas as their food source. And when they do that, one of the things that they make inside of their cells is this molecule. And the molecule called, is called PHB. Um, and it's one of those things that, you know, like most people have never heard of, of PHB, but it's made in all living things. Um, it's estimated to be about 2 billion years old evolutionarily. We're making it in our bodies right now. So humans make it. Um, and it's really fascinating because generally speaking, it's made as an energy storage material. So um, if a microorganism, for instance, is under some pressure or stress, um, it will make more of this as a way to, to survive. And also it turns out that if you extract this and purify it, you can turn it into a fine white powder, which is meltable. And so if you have a meltable material, now all of a sudden you have something that can you know, be formed into shapes, parts, pieces, and thus replace plastic. So early on, we, we realized that actually nature's turning greenhouse gas into a useful material all day, every day. What if we could do the same thing? And um, so it took us about 10 years to go from this sort of paper lab idea uh, to working in the lab to then many, many years in a pilot plant. And then finally, after 10 years of, of uh, technology research, finally figuring out how to scale that up to go from very small reactors to a reactor that was about 50 feet tall. So that, that process, that, that, those first 10 years were, uh, they, they were long and, and, and pretty tough. Uh, you know, it, it, there was a lot of times where progress felt very slow. Uh, and then we would have these real key advancements and then we'd have some setbacks. And so it was definitely not a, uh, a smooth path up, but eventually we just kept plugging away. Um, so we had no website for about a decade. And finally, when we scaled up to this um, 50 foot reactor, we said, um, okay, now, we, now we've, we've got a technology that, that, can, uh, that can operate at, at meaningful scale. 
and we want to start to show what this material is capable of doing. Um, it was funny because the uh, we said, well, we need to start to, to talk about this. And I, I contacted the guy who wrote the original newspaper article that I read about the cow emissions. And uh, he was pretty incredulous at first. And, and so I invited him in for a tour. I imagine. And uh, after walking through the plane, he said, you've been, you've been doing this for 10 years since, since I wrote this article? I said, yeah. He said, gosh, I, I don't know whether to say you're welcome or, or I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so that was, that was the first part of our journey was that sort of 10 year technology discovery. And, and it was basically just replicating what happens in nature. After that, though, the, the next part of the journey was figuring out how to continue to scale up the process, but do it in increasingly consistent ways, because it's one thing to demonstrate a technology, it's a totally different one to be able to produce the same thing day in and day out, such that it, you can really deliver to, to customers. Um, and so um, finally, that culminated in um, end of 2020, where we installed a system that we call Eagle 3. And that's our first fully integrated large commercial scale system. Um, and with that online, we've now been delivering products into the market for over a year uh, in the foodware space and um, making some products that we're really, really excited about in terms of what they do from a plastic and, and carbon reduction standpoint. Well, you know, I mean, 10 years is a long time. And even sustainability as an industry has evolved so much since then. And I think what's also really exciting, I mean, I feel like air carbons really coming onto the market when there's such a demand for new and innovative materials and breaking out of the status quo, and especially with greenwashing. I mean, everyone... Um, I don't know how much you know of like my background, but I'm mostly like a direct to consumer sustainability consultant. I do a lot of materials research. I, you know, have partnerships with different factories and different places, but like love mycelia as like this new and emerging material, but it's also very hard to get and it's very expensive. And so then companies that want to adopt this technology ends up like hitting every single wall and barrier possible so they can't end up using it. Um, or you only you can only get like the 1% of companies that are willing to make massive investments into these new materials. Um, I'm thinking of one in particular with Adidas with the Milo uh, Reishi leather. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's just like fascinating. And I think it's such an awesome time to be paying attention to the material space just because it's absolutely revolutionary and it's also really exciting that there's all this happening and 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 really hard i mean to to the point that you <laughs> made um you know i think that one of the disconnects right now and and has been for a few years is that a lot of these companies like adidas and others they, they do want to to do something good um but the gap has been basically as you said a lack of material availability or price or performance um, so, and, and we know that very well because, you know, we've spent many years in deep frustration of not being able to produce enough material. Um, what, what is a real joy for me right now is, you know, for the past few quarters, we've been delivering, you know, millions of products to the market and finally seeing them in people's hands. I can tell you the first time I went to a restaurant and I sat down and they gave me a, a air carbon straw. I, I, I don't know if I cried. I, I, I was at least 
real close because to be out in the wild and see an air carbon product show up, it was just so moving. Same feeling when I went into a target and, and by God, there it was something that was just an idea so many years ago. And now here's a product that um, is uh, displacing plastic, reducing the amount of carbon in the air, and I can go pick it up on a shelf. Um, that, that was just, those are really special moments. And, and we've had a few of those in the past year, like going into a Shake Shack and they used to have something that wouldn't you know, go away and now it does. Um, so uh, those, those frustrations are getting less, but still sometimes I check myself because like all that's really cool. But on the other hand, the, the scale of the problem is so big yeah. and the time that we have to solve it is so small. Um, so one of the, the jobs that everyone needs to focus on is, is how do we grow all this stuff so much faster? Um, and that's something that we're focusing a lot on today. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Restore Media and Strategies Sustainability Help Desk because we understand that sustainability is hard and expensive. We know that not everyone can afford a professional or even a consultant and a lot of times these big companies are driving sustainability by getting all these really expensive certifications. We get it. And the help desk is designed to be an affordable option for businesses who want access to someone that they can trust to say, hey, does this sound like greenwashing? What material would be really good here if we were to redesign this? What, you know, is the language correct here on this packaging? What more could we say in terms of sustainability language? Just having someone that you can email, you know, a few times a month to review things, look things over and provide you guidance is what the help desk is really all is what it's all about. It's on your own terms. You can cancel it whenever you want. If you are developing a campaign or a product and you only want to sign up for a few months, that's fine. If you end up signing up for more than six months, you'll get a free strategy session um, and honestly, being part of this help desk community, you're going to get discounts on exclusive downloads for your business, as well as content and videos and, and trainings as well. The first 10 companies to sign up are going to get an early bird discount. After that, um, the price will go up. So definitely lock in your pricing when you can. Honestly, this is a no brainer. This is the brainchild of two years of work and brainstorming. This is peace of mind for your business. This is help when you need it. Go sign up at the link in the bio or go to patreon.com slash make climate cool. Back to the episode. So let's let's talk about, since we, we talked briefly about air carbon, what it is. I want to talk about restore because I am biased. <laughs> Obviously, I'm partial to the name. We have um, basically you created a food packaging company called Restore out of this air carbon material. Um, obviously my business's name is Restore Media and Strategy. I'm curious, I'm not going to tell you why I chose the name, but I, I've gotten a sense of why you chose the name from your website, but I just want to hear it from you. Um, I wonder if it's for the same reasons. Well, for, for us, um, sustainability is sustainable is not good enough. Like we, we can't like just do the same thing into oblivion. Like we've got to figure out how to start to go in the other direction and start to repair. And, um, and that's what restore means to us is, is creating products that 
um, give the environment the chance not to just stay status quo, but actually go in the other direction. So the, the term regenerative is starting to, to take more and more of a hold in, in the community. And what regenerative means to us is something that reverses the flow of carbon and actually reduces the amount of carbon in the air. And these products do that. And so for us, we believe that that's a really important next step in the sustainability movement is rebuilding, repairing, and, and not just like, I like to sometimes joke, like, let's say you come home from like a first date and you're like, yeah, that seemed pretty sustainable. Like the sustainable is not like, it's not, it's not good enough. Like we have to go to something where we're actually getting better and, and stronger. And, and, um, and so that, that's what it meant to us. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I agree. I think sustainable, I was like, it's such a complex word. It has a lot of meetings, meanings. It's used in a lot of different capacities. I mean, so is restored to some degree, but I felt like the emote, I was going for emotion in the sense of restore has like a, a really positive connotation. And I've always felt, I mean, hence make climate cool again. I've always felt that taking, you know, stuff that's like really inspiring and new materials and innovative stories and sharing them and putting them in pro new product and creating new communication opportunities to get people just excited about this space was how we were going to repair, rebuild, restore. And, you know, maybe, maybe it changes someday, but I always just felt like I wanted to focus on, because I do think like the earth and like how we understand it is very emotional as much as it's scientific. Um, I, so I think you're, you're so right about that. Like, and, and that's something that we're, kind of continually looking at is how, how do you get the emotional side into this space? Because sometimes it's so academic and so kind of vague. Um, and at, at the very least, having a positive, like, why do you want to come to the party, <laughs> right? Like, um, it can't right. just be doom and gloom. There's got has to be something positive and exciting and, and you know, personally uh, connective. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with that. So and that being said, I so I love that we have that in common. Um, and I would say, you know, I wonder if there's going to be a new word that comes out for this industry because there are so many types of sustainability and industries in the space. It's kind of become this like wild, wild west. And there are these rule followers, I would say. And then I would say that there's outlaws for sure. And so I'm curious about like what do you where do you feel like new light really like where do you see yourself mostly in food packaging kind of staying there like where is your goal where do you want to take it and like what industries are you kind of going after yeah well let's let's first touch on the the the, the greenwashing um it is incredibly frustrating to me when i show up at a restaurant and i see us a, a quote unquote sustainable straw that's basically just some scraps mixed with plastic and is thus completely non-degradable and is somehow labeled as something better for the environment. Um, it's arguably worse. There are so many examples of that in the foodware space in particular. And then if you take a broader, you know, outside of foodware, um, I mean, even the term regenerative gets tossed around all the time and, and uh, carbon accounting is all over the place. Um, it's, it's really frustrating and, and frustrating in part is be, because we've spent so much time and so much money and so much headache trying to get those things right. I mean, let's just take the carbon accounting side. Oh we've had gosh, two, yeah. 
If, and so here's here's us doing the, the best that we can. And I, and I think we, I, I actually believe we're as far along as, as anybody in the space, but if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So we've done two third-party LCAs, one with SCS Global out of California, one with Carbon Trust out of London. Um, on top of that, we teamed up with IBM to create a blockchain tracking system so that we could easily audit our carbon numbers involved with our process. And then the fourth thing is uh, we were able to work with a um, with Vera uh, to develop a, uh, a methodology um, to uh, enable us to generate carbon credits as a result of our operations. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and on top of all that, when you get one of our products, um, one of our fashion products, it comes with a blockchain number. And so I've got one of my, this is an air carbon wallet. I don't know if you can see it, but um, there's a, there's a number associated with this. So every single product has its own individual number and that number is associated with a blockchain number. And if you type it into our website, it'll pull up every step in the production process, as well as the specific carbon footprint of this specific product, as well as who independently third party certified that, um, I don't know what else we could do, but but I can I can say there's a lot of people doing a lot less, <laughs> and it, it can be frustrating sometimes. Um, so whether it's the end of life uh, descriptions or the carbon accounting, hopefully the the industry continues to move towards single standards. And and even if those single standards aren't perfect, at the very least it gives everybody the ability to be on an apples to apples page. Um, and, and I, I, I hope that it becomes more and more visible to consumers. Um, you know, people are starting to talk more and more. And I think Allbirds is starting to do a, a decent job of this, of getting carbon accounting, you know, very front and center. Um, the, the, the key, though, is that we're all using the same accounting methodologies. Yeah, yeah. I get emails probably every day from carbon accounting firms from all over the world. And I do my own, I do LCAs for my own clients um using different softwares and it's crazy how there's so much confusion around it and people just get very stressed out about what the value of an LCA is when I I think ultimately the value comes from the consumer but the consumer doesn't even know how valuable it can be yet so for example I work with Ohio State and I I think these two student groups are helping me build out like a uh, almost like a magazine of products and doing LCAs on every single product so you can understand, okay, if you're going to go to a tailgate, all these different items, their carbon equivalency factor, so that you understand your carbon footprint for this one event. But it's also supposed to show how these items vary. I mean, this is like very, this is all an experiment for students to try out. But the goal is if you understand like, like calories, for example, right, we know, we, how would we know that an Oreo is worse for us than carrots if we didn't understand like the calories and all the nutrition labels? Like we did not know before that science came into play. So it's almost similar in that fact. And I hope that there's a lot of progression, but again, it goes back to the wild west. Everyone's trying to come out with new ways of measuring and new methodologies for reporting and you know it used to be gri was how we measured things and now we're not and it's just kind of gotten crazy um i think the, the the good thing is i think there are emerging like iso has a standard pas mm -hmm. standard so i think there is an increasing convergence or at least maybe that's that's wishful thinking but i 
there's our, our sense of it is. Um, so hopefully the, the industry continues to evolve in that direction. And I think the key is it needs to be increasingly accessible. Like, as you well know, these things take a long time. There's a lot of hard work that goes into, you know, figuring out the carbon footprint of some, you know, very small component of your operations and then multiply that by 300. So, um, yeah, I think that there's a real opportunity for to, to make that more simple and more accessible. Well, I think blockchain could be like the, I mean, everyone says it's going to be the new solution or QR codes or like a way to see exactly like what's happening with your product. It reminds me, I used to work at Tesla and one of the programs, I, I can't say the name, but basically every Tesla that's ever made, there's a log available on your car, exactly like the torque for every single screw that's ever put in. Every single part has a process. And if something goes wrong with it, they can immediately pull up that log for your specific car and understand, okay, this is this went wrong because maybe there was a torque issue before, or it was in these part, this was in this part grouping that had an issue. Like it's it's really wild how they've been able to do it. And I always just thought that that was really smart for all products. And how, how do we continue to track everything and make it more transparent for people? Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it, there's a similar challenge there with the LCA, which is that like for us, I think it took two or three years to set that up with IBM. Mm. Um, and, and compared to other operations, we're probably on the simpler side. Um, so setting up blockchain tracking is it's, it's hard. You have to do it from kind of the, the very beginning. And it's, so that also isn't yet overly accessible. Um, I think IBM did a, did a great job with us, but still it, it was, you know, it, it would be great to make that even more accessible. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what I've learned about you guys so far besides is that you're really revolutionizing these processes and it, more companies should try to figure out how to use blockchain and use these types of tools for this material or really any material. Like there's no reason why mycelium or any of these other new materials can't use a similar process. But at the same time, you know, the reason why we started this podcast was talk about the future to inspire people and get people really excited about what's to come in sustainability. And I think the best part of it is that there's this willingness to take risks and try something new. And 10 years ago, you were like, I'm going to do this. And, and now you're seeing your products in Shake Shack and Target. And it's, it's so, it's such a cool story and coming out, everything out of this industry is all very new and there's new information every day. I think that begs the challenge like, or the question, what's the biggest opportunity to, that you think is for your industry? Uh, boy, that's a good, good question. Um, you know, I, I think we, so for us, we look at both carbon and, and plastic. Those are the, the kind of two sustainability challenges we're focused on. I, I think when it comes to carbon, the world has to figure out profitable carbon capture solutions. E everything outside of that is going to be a push and pull stuck for as we have been for the past 30, 40 years where people just argue about it. I think it's on society to, to you know, the innovators, the inventors, everybody to figure out how, how do we make it so pulling carbon out of the air is a profitable endeavor. If you can do that, 
we'll wrap this problem up. <laughs> so that's that's been kind of our our, our core focus. But I, I think there's so much space for innovation, and we're starting to see it now. Like you, you hear more, uh, you know, whether it's direct air capture. Um, I'd love to see more, you know, people getting into that space or turning either methane or CO2 into, into useful products. Um, like we talked about the wild, wild west. When I look at the technology in nature specific, um, there's so many different things that you can do with it. Like we happen to make this molecule PHB air carbon, but there's a wide range of other stuff in theory we could be making, um, whether that's, you know, low or zero or negative carbon fuels um, or different, uh, you know, you know, we could, we could, there, there's so many things, even just within air carbon from fibers to films to, to different, you know, lifestyle products to foodware. I just think there's like, we're at the very, very beginning of what's possible with carbon conversion on the plastic side. You know, what's clear to us is that the whole world is hungry to get the heck out of plastic, at least from a single use perspective. And, um, so our opportunity is that that space is ripe. The challenge is that it takes time to get production capacity in place. Um, you know, the, the industry is going to be at roughly a trillion pounds per year fairly soon. Um, we are a drop of a drop of a drop in the bucket. And so we've got to figure out, like there, there's a massive opportunity there, but we've got to figure out how to just grow exponentially over the next 10 years. Um, and, and that's not, that's not an obvious, there's not an obvious answer there, but um, it's certainly an opportunity. Yeah, I, I hear you talk about it, I'm like, yeah, there's like this pressure to move quickly because everyone's like, we have to solve climate change right now, everything needs to change, but at the same time, it's slow. It's slow to educate and to get changes in design and approval process. I mean, it's just where our society just doesn't like to move fast when it comes to change ultimately. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the things that we're talking about, this is heavy manufacturing. Heavy manufacturing mm -hmm. in of, of years and then ultimately kind of decades too, not, not months. Um, we should be tackling all the things that can improve efficiencies. Those, those, you know, some of those can happen quickly. Um, and then, and then, you know, lifestyle changes can have a pretty immediate impact. I mean, I think one of the coolest things that happened in the pandemic was, um, uh, you know, a few weeks into the, the shutdowns, we looked around and the air is clean and carbon emissions had <laughs> dropped. And yes, how we got there was not good, but, but it did show that like massive shift is in fact possible. Like the things that we want to do, they, they are possible. Um, we've got to figure out how to get everybody aligned where it's a win-win to, to, to do those things and do them consistently. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I love that. And I mean, even it was, it was crazy to see the pictures of the dolphins and the, in, um, not Florence, where was it, in Italy? And they're yeah, in the canals that are normally like so polluted and, um, yeah. I just, I'm like, wow, I mean, nature is like taking over again. And I think that's a, I think we forget about that. Um, like this is kind of a controversial like statement, but I've always felt like we're not really saving the planet. We're kind of saving ourselves because the planet's going to figure it out. <laughs> it always has. It, it will light life will, will always figure out how to deal with the conditions it has. And then, and then it'll, 
do what it can to, to flourish around that. It, it, it is an such an interesting symbolism to think like the moment humanity stepped back for, a, for just a second, like nature was ready to come on back. So yeah. if we can create the conditions to let it just heal itself, um, it'll run, it'll go. <laughs> so yeah. in the meantime, we've just got to make sure we don't, we don't uh, extinguish ourselves. Yeah. Well, and speaking of ourselves and kind of getting a little bit more personal um, beyond the business, obviously, when you work in this space, you are probably a sustainability person. Like I'm sure you consider yourself um, a sustainability person and probably you have all the different good habits and bad habits that we feel guilty, the good habits that we love and the bad habits that we feel guilty about because we can't do anything about them yet. Um, but I'd love if you could just share some of those and see if, if, you know, people love to hear about how sustainability isn't perfect. We cannot do all the things right all the time. I'm always challenging myself, um, but it's still hard, but I'm always looking yeah. for inspiration. Well, uh, first, uh, commiseration, I, I'm with you that, uh, <laughs> there's some things that I don't do that I, I would like to be better. And I think the best example is, is eating meat. I think one of the fastest ways to fixing the environment quickly is just massively reducing everyone's meat consumption. Um, I've tried to go vegetarian, I don't know, five times. Um, and I just, I just can't get all the way there. I just, at some point I feel, and I don't know if this is like, societal programming or whatever but at some point i feel like i need meat for some reason um not something i'm proud of but it's just the truth and i end up drifting back to that but with that said I, i've gotten comfortable with the idea that if i'm 80 percent of my meals you know vegetarian imagine if the whole world went you know from where it is to you know an 80 percent reduction so maybe it's just me trying to make myself feel better but that's definitely a place where i i'm not as good as i uh, would like to be, but trying to get better. And, that, and then I love something like, like impossible, like mm. that, that, like that's such a beautiful innovation where, you know, you can go and get the, whatever, maybe it's just, there's nothing real about your need for, for that, that taste, but, but it's given to you in plant form. So I, I think it's a great example of innovation, you know, playing such a big role there. Um, uh, yeah. And then look, I, you know, we, uh, I, I like the fact that I wake up every day and I'm trying to figure out a market driven pathway to reducing the amount of carbon in the air. And, um, you know, so I try to fill my life with all my drawers are filled with air carbon cutlery and got my air carbon wallet, my air carbon eyewear. And <laughs> it's, um, so, you know, what, what we're trying to do is just fill out as many product spaces as we can, starting with foodware and then moving into lifestyle products and then just show what's possible that like, I think one of the biggest things with climate and even on the personal side is oftentimes we feel like this thing's so big, there's no way that really our actions are going to matter. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's a fair sentiment for sure. Um, but part of what I like about this stuff is you can hold it in your hand and then you can ask the question, well, wait a minute, like why does carbon have to go into the air? Well, it doesn't. Um, and if, if that can change, you know, what else can change? And that for me is a hopeful thought. Yeah, 
So I think what's interesting is like people, I think it goes back to, you were talking about being societally programmed to eat meat. I do think diet culture plays this huge role into, we have to eat X amount of protein every single meal. And so all of a sudden you start realizing, you know, I don't, I don't eat meat. I do eat seafood once in a while because I can't give up sushi. Um, but I think there was a time when I was like, this is so weird. You know, I have to eat meat at at lunch and I have to eat meat at dinner. And that's what makes a well-rounded meal. That's not necessarily true for everybody. And breaking out of that mentality is really, really hard. And, and that's for anything This I think a lot of people think they have to give up stuff to be sustainable. And it's like, well, let's not think about giving up. Why, why don't we focus on just what we have and how we have abundance in our lives without the all these other things and these other things are distractions and I don't know I think we have to work on the marketing of sustainability and and habits a little bit more for sure totally I mean take like cigarettes you know there may have been a point in time where it felt like oh you have to give up cigarettes well people don't think about it like that anymore it's you're gonna be so much happier and healthier if you if you don't smoke um and the the more we can flip the script from the things you have to give up to the ways in which you're gaining like your health, uh, what, what, whatever it is. Um, but I totally agree that there's a, there's a marketing. I actually think one of the biggest needs in sustainability is just fantastic marketing. Like if you, if you look at what happened with ocean plastics, it's a really interesting case study because climate has taken quite a bit of time for people to really like emotionally care about. And it's still pretty academic. Ocean plastics feels totally different there's an emotional response and, and, and there's almost like across the board, everybody's sort of like, yeah, we need to fix that. Um, but why is it? We've been that? primed. We've been primed with the sea turtle. We've been primed with the polar bear. Yeah. Uh, so, so it, it, it's fascinating because like, but, but on some level that the sea turtle maybe was more potent to us than you know, we, we see the polar bear on the, on the, you know, the ice thing or whatever. Like, I don't, I wonder if that has as much of an emotional appeal as the sea turtle, the seabird, the whatever. And, um, and I think there were a couple things that, that were part of that. One was when there was the idea that there was a, a Texas size, you know, island of, of, of plastic in the ocean that was very tangible. Um, and then the second thing was this idea of more plastic than fish in the ocean by 2050. I personally think that those two data points had a massive impact on the overall you know, movement away from plastics and climate change doesn't seem to have been able to capture the same, um, I don't know, emotional urgency or, or, or a connection. I mean, it's starting to more and more and we're seeing different figures. Like I think Greta has done an amazing job of personalizing it and giving some emotion and energy to it, but there's, there's a lot more work that, that can be done there. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that's why we call this podcast, make climate cool again, because it's about making sustainability just more, yeah, cool. Like the cool thing to talk about. It was kind of like in 21 Jump Street where um, it was, maybe it was the second one, I don't remember, but they were like, whoa, it's cool to wear your backpack like all the way tight to your back. Because back in the day, people used to have backpacks like down to their butts and it was terrible for your posture and your parents would always freak out. But then it was like cool to be a nerd and cool to... 
Um, I mean, I wish it was like that when I was in school, but um, you <laughs> know, we're, we're working our, our way, right? Um, yeah. And that's part of why, sometimes people ask, why are, why are you in the lifestyle products? But like, we're, we're going to do an increasingly good job of, of making them more and more, you know, desirable as products. But, but I want to get it to where it's cool to, to wear, whether it's air carbon or mushroom leather, what, whatever the case is, where that's like, oh, sweet. Like you've got something that's like good for the environment as opposed to like animal leather. Um, I think, I think we will get there. I really do. And uh, frankly, it's, you know, things like what you're doing that, that will help us move in that direction. Well, well, thank you. And um, well, hopefully, you know, becoming more visible is the goal, truly. And I think the more people that, you know, they're going to hear the podcast and then now they're going to start to see it everywhere. They're going to see the Restore products at um, all, hopefully all of their local uh, restaurants and things like that, especially as we go into the spring and summer when people are out and about post-COVID. So, um, Mark... It's been such a pleasure chatting. If people, you know, are you open for people to reach out on LinkedIn or any anything like that? You know, what's the best way for people to get in touch? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. I'm not massively active on social media, but I do have LinkedIn. So I'm totally open to that. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Mark, for, for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure. And I'm excited to uh, see where Air Carbon goes next. Thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Really nice to speak with you.